turn this on so none of that incriminating information is recorded. I think I'm on. Yeah, I get the I get the thumb. I get the thumbs up. Well, I wasn't sure this morning. I thought, my goodness, it sure was hard on folks. I think I'm not going to be hard on you tonight. I think what I will do is, my plan is and has been and was before this to go to Jude. So if you if you're looking for Jude, you head to the maps. When you find the maps, you go left, go crawl across Revelation, and there's this little one-page letter, just a short, brief letter that Jude writes. And this Jude is the Jude that is the half-brother of James and Jesus, right? Jude and James are brothers. And they're related to Jesus. And he says, let's, let's pick up the reading. It says, Jude, a bondservant. The word there in the Greek is doulos. It means the slave. We don't like to use the word slave because eh, it, just, it just fires up the wrong kind of imagery for us. So we'll just go with bondservant, okay? Of, of Jesus Christ and brother of James to those who are the called. Beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy and peace and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, while I was making every effort to write you about our common salvation, I felt the necessity to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all, all time and all people, delivered to the saints. For certain persons have crept in unnoticed those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation, ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into licentious and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. Now I desire to remind you, though you know all things once for all, that the Lord, after saving a people out of the land of Egypt, subsequently destroyed those who did not believe, and the angels who did not keep their own domain, but abandoned their proper abode. He has kept in eternal bonds under darkness for the judgment of the great day. When you read that verse, you remember you remember when uh, Jesus put shore put ashore and the dem- the demoniac in the Gadarean district. Remember, he came up to him and, he, and the, the demon said, have you come to judge us before the time? They know, they know it's coming. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them, since they in the same way as these indulged in gross immoralities and went after strange flesh, are exhibited as an example in undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. I never think of I never think of that, but that's a pretty powerful example. It's a pretty. Po- I know that we're trending today. I know how the trend is. It's 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 pretty terrible. What we're seeing today from our courts and stuff, and it's like that Sodom and Gomorrah is that silent, old, long time standing witness of what happens. It's God's. And, and was it? Did it predate the law? Oh, yes, it did. There was no law given at that time, and yet he still judged it that way. So, quite. Then, verse 8. Yet, in the same manner, these men also, by dreaming, 
defile the flesh and reject authority and revile angelic majesties. But Michael the archangel, when he disputed with the devil and argued about the body of Moses, did not dare pronounce against him a railing judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these men revile the things which they do not understand and the things which they do not which they know by instinct like unreasoning animals by these things they are destroyed woe to them for they have gone the way of Cain and for the and for pay they have rushed headlong into the air of Balaam and perished in the rebellion of Korah you remember Cain what, what was Cain in trouble for? Any of the little, any little guys remember that? What was Cain in trouble for? Yeah, he killed Abel. His sacrifice wasn't accepted with God. It wasn't accepted with God, and he got mad because Abel's was accepted by God. And he got mad at him, and he did him in. And for pay, they rushed headlong into the air of Balaam. Remember, Balaam was a prophet. He was blessed by God. And he was paid to unbless somebody that, that his own, his own, the God's own people, those whom he has he has bailed out, redeemed from Egypt, and perished in the rebellion of Korah. Do you remember what happened to Korah? You little guys remember what happened to Korah? The earth went like this, and like that. I mean, not not just Korah. I mean, like 250 people went down. And you would think that was kind of weird, but wasn't that strange that in Florida that fellow was in his bedroom and the entire bed and the bedroom floor all caved into a hole and he disappeared and we've never found him since? That's amazing. These men are those who are hidden reefs in your love feasts when they feast with you without fear, caring for themselves, Clouds without water, carried along by wind. Autumn trees without fruit, doubly dead, uprooted. When I was in India, there's a Baptist mid-mission missionary there named P.B. Joseph. Patalabandu Venkateshwarlu. Then Kepeshwarlu. So he just goes by PB when he comes home. And PB <coughs> had invited us out, and we were out there for eight weeks, and it's in the heat of the summer. They have, um, they have a celebration like we do. They, August 15th is their day of independence. It's like their 4th of July. Man, is it hot. Wearing shorts wearing a, a simple cotton shirt, sitting in the shade under a tent, and running water, just, just running water all the time. And the chair, you know those white chairs, those white plastic molded chairs that you see? They stack like in stores. They just stack them up, and, and people will buy them, put them out on their patio. They're just they're great chairs. They never rot. They never rust. They never, the fabric never fails. But these things were beginning to buckle. They were beginning to, the heat, the, the heat was melting, was they were like, 
fall, so we had to get up. <coughs> and, and that night, <coughs> this part of India, it's the lower part of India, so it's southern India, it's Andhra Pradesh. And in the village of Janagata, it's just flat. It's just as flat as can be. It's like perfect flat. And PV bought this property, 65 acres with an acre across the street. 65 acres. It's as if God went and pushed his thumb up in the dirt and just rose this thing up. I would think 300 feet. And he got it for nothing because nobody thought, this is ridiculous. Who's going to want that? And he's turned it into quite a campus for the gospel out there in, uh, in Jhanalagata. And that night, it was so hot, and it started to cloud over. And it was like, oh, that's, that's great. And then you could see the wind kind of pick up, and it was, that was cool. And I thought, oh, look, lightning. And we, I, I sat out in the evening. Believe me, it, it, it's 7 o'clock in the middle of summer. It's evening. It's like 6.30, there's light. 6.35, like this. It's just that fast. So we're sitting out and thinking, and you know, the, the flash of lightning and stuff, and we never got any rain. It never cooled anything down. That's how, that's how, that, that's how disappointing it can be. These folks, are that disappointing. Clouds without water, without rain, carried along by wind, autumn trees without fruit, doubly dead, uprooted. He has a terrible, he has a terrible opinion of these folks. Wild waves of the sea casting up their own shame like foam. Wandering stars. A wandering star. Here's the bad news on a wandering star. People navigated at night according to the stars. And the stars have to be in their same in the right spot. If they're a wandering star, then you're following, you're going to get in trouble. You will get lost. In fact, the Greek word for planet is actually in the, the word deception. So, the planets is actually planareo, which is like deception. So, wandering stars for whom the black darkness has been reserved forever. And about these also Enoch, in the seventh generation from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord come with many thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment upon all and to convict all the ungodly of their ungodly deeds which they have done in an ungodly way and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These, uh, just, just out of, okay, I'm not prepared tonight to discuss 14 and 15 and the implications that this is taken from, from an uh apocryphal uh, book, books. I, I'm not... I, like, I don't want to argue why Why would the Bible quote from a book that has not been canonized? You know, why, why would they do that? And that's where this is coming from. So I'm just going to let that ride, okay? I'm going to say that it was quoted from uh, First Enoch and therefore it's... it's this is now good. It's... <coughs> These are grumblers, he says, finding fault, following after their own lusts. They speak arrogantly, flattering people for the sake of gaining an advantage. I don't know if you've ever had to live with someone that finds fault. It always has to be a cause. It's like it's hard to live with a person or people or work with a person or whatever, associate with a person 
So it's, it's like it's never going to be their fault. They just don't take the blame. There's always somebody's, somebody's got to pay for this. And it won't be me. <laughs> That's their position. And it's hard living with a person like that. But then he says in 17, now it turns, he's been talking to them. They. These people over here. He's talking about these guys. Them. Those. And now he turns to his, and he says, but you, beloved. Beloved by who? Beloved by God, verse 2. Beloved by himself, in verse 3. But you, beloved, ought to remember the words that were spoken beforehand by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ that they were saying to you, in the last time there shall be mockers following after their own ungodly lusts. When <clears throat> Paul or Barnabas, James or Jude speaks of the last time, it is as accurate and as last, it can't be any more last than we are speaking of it to this day and when we say it's the last time. Even though we are clearly closer to the arrival of the Lord, the, the, the reappearing of the Lord, we are in the last time. This is the last time. And they were as in the last time as completely absorbed as we are. They are... They are dealing with mockers. We deal with mockers. We deal with... I mean, do you actually believe that the earth was made in 144 hours? Come on. Let's be reasonable. Do you think all the evidence points against that? And so we're mocked. But I believe that the Bible says, and therefore I believe it, that it was made in 144 well, then what about the fact that light has left Andromeda and it's millions of miles away and I'm seeing the, I can see the light of Andromeda? It's like, well, maybe God put in, maybe God built in old age into things. So there's a mocking going on. Jesus took up a mocking. Remember, remember they were picking on Jesus for... They, at first, were kind of astounded. They held their opinions back. But as Jesus went along, they accused Him of being... Of the devil. He gets his power from demonic sources. Beelzebub. That was the mocking. Do you remember? In, and I'm going to use the... We'll use a word tonight. That You remember when Jesus was talking to me? He says, my father is, you know, our father is Abraham. Oops, sorry. Our father is Abraham. And, and they said, we know. They said to him, we know who our father is. For we were not born of, and then they used that F word, the F-O-R-N, and I bet these kids can spell, but they said, that was a cheap shot at his mom and a cheap shot at him. That was a mocking. That was a scorn. He had to put up with that stuff too. He was always doing battle with them. They were always coming up. They were sitting in the background thinking of ways to trick him up, ask him some questions. He had to put up with that. I've had a chance to go out with street preachers. Let me just say that when you go out with street preachers, you get to see a whole other kind of animal in the streets. I did not do any of the preaching because 
they don't use bullhorns. They just use their voice, and they project their voice. And so after 20 minutes, they're like shocked. Plus, it's a different kind of preaching. It, it's not the kind of preaching where you have an introduction, you have a body, and you have a closing. Because they're walking past you. You have about a 30-second sermon. That's about what you get. But clearly, you can stand there and hand out tracts. You know, I would almost recommend that if you ever got an opportunity, if Jacob Elwell were ever to say, Elwell would ever say, let's, let's take a team out, get some signs, and let's go, okay? I would recommend that you follow him into that. That's going to do something for you. That's going to, like, link you to Christ in a way that you haven't been before. If that ever happens and if you ever get a chance to do that. Because the kids are watching you, and the people are watching you, and they take their hat off to you. They may not agree with you, but to see a guy like me out there with kind of a wrinkly face and all out of shape and old, it's like, whoa, who is that person? So I'm just going to put that in there, that if you ever had a chance to do that. It isn't so much for them. It isn't. You're not out there trying to win people to Christ. Not necessarily. You're out there establishing the name and the reputation and the glory of this one for whom you live and will report to one day. For him who lives and calls you. It would be a wonderful thing for him to you to do that. I'm just saying, if you ever get a chance, you're going to want to not do it. You're going to want to stumble. But if you... If you get together, don't go by yourself. Please don't go by yourself. Go in two or three, in a clump of two or three, and you'll have some strength. These are grumblers finding fault, following after their own lusts. Flattering people for the sake of the advantage. I'm not against flattering people. But I think there's room to flatter. There's flatter people truly. You, you do that with your kids. Hopefully you do that with your kids. You say, son, I was, so, I was watching you and I am so proud of the way you handled that. You're not, you're not doing it trying to gain an advantage on your son. You're not trying to manipulate your son. But you, you, I would tell you something. Son, I've been watching you. Or daughter, my little girl, I have watched you and you are really good at this. Like you're an expert at that. So flatter people sincerely for their advantage, for their good, what it does to them. Then he says, Now but you, beloved, ought to remember the words that were spoken beforehand by the Apostle Elijah, that they were saying, in the last times there were mockers coming after their own ungodly lusts. These are the ones who cause divisions, worldly-minded, devoid of the Spirit. That devoid of the Spirit puts them in the category of the unregenerate. But you, beloved, and this is where I'm going to spend probably the next eight minutes, but you, beloved, build yourself up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keeping yourselves in the love of God, waiting anxiously. Keep yourselves in. Now, how do we handle that? I always thought that praying in the Spirit, praying in the Holy Spirit, was something I didn't know how to do. I wasn't like, how do you do that? What does that look like? How does it sound? Does it is it all the time or is it once at a time? 
Is this something that you can drift into and drift out of? Until I took some Greek. And then I saw that those are participles. Those are participles used as in an adjectival way. He's describing the folks to whom he's going to give this imperative command. Keep is in the imperative. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in the most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keeping yourself in the love of God. So let me do this. I'm going to do this somewhat graphically. I'm going to say over here is keeping yourself in the love of God means this. That the love of God comes down like a beam, like like a sin beam. Yeah? And it, it's, it's right here. And by praying in the Holy Spirit and by keeping yourself, building yourself up in the, in the faith, you are centered in the center of that will and therefore stay there. Okay, that's, that's, that's what it is. You do everything you can to make yourself lovable or lovely before God. That's one way of looking at it. It's just one way. I know people, good people, that, that, that follow that. Then there's this, other, there's this other path over here that says, it says, <clears throat> God loves you anyway, whether or not, and therefore, while you're over here, you are to make sure your affections, your heart is towards God. That is, He is supplying His love towards you anyway. He loves you, and that you are to love Him back. That is, those descriptors in front of keep yourself in the love of God are such that you are the ones who pray in the Holy Spirit. You can't help it. There's no place on earth you can go now. You can't walk over here and pray a regular prayer. And then I'm just going to go over there and I'm going to pray this kind of a prayer. But when I'm standing here, I'm going to be praying in the Spirit. No, 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 no. Every place you pray, you are different than anybody else. You pray in the Holy Spirit. Whether it's a prayer or it's an imprecatory prayer, God, why have you allowed this? I don't understand it. Or whether it's a prayer of praise and glory and, and high definition towards Him. You are in love and adore Him. Whatever. The problem is you pray. You can't get out of it. This is where you, the Holy Spirit is in you and you pray that way all the time. So don't think, don't struggle with trying to find some methodology or some attitude or some like bowing down or genuflecting or or whatever. No, it's when you pray. You do pray in the Holy Spirit. So he's saying, you who pray in the Holy Spirit, you are the ones who are building yourselves up in your holy faith. He says, keep yourself in love with God. Be in love with God. So we have a decision to make. Which of these two to go with? In this position over here, he says, he says waiting anxiously, for the mercies of the Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. You hang out here. You get older. You take pills. I take pills. You take other pills to kind of counteract the problems that you get with the first set of pills. And then you just get older. And you use a piece of aluminum with a tennis ball on it. And then you die. And there's your eternal life. Waiting anxiously for the Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. That's what that is. This position over here doesn't take that position. This position is a little bit more active. Here's why I like this position. You can, you can take any position you want. 
But this, posi this position over here doesn't address the main crux of the problem. What do you think the main crux of the problem is with this church? They don't see. There are people in the church they don't see. They haven't got eyes and discernment to detect people that don't belong. And, and Jude is, has to go through a great deal, deal of description to tell them what they're like or not like. Yes? This position over here does nothing about it. It basically just says, hang on, keep, you know, stay in the love of God, do what you need to so God loves you, and then you'll die, you'll go to heaven. Everything will be wonderful. This position over here changes things. This position over here changes things because when you are in love with God, do you suppose that you will be a different person? Do you suppose that the love of God is just something ordinary you see it all the time? I'm going to say from example of my life, no. Let me pick on myself because I know you guys are not like me. But I don't like people eating all over the inside of my car. Now, I used to let that happen. I had a big car, a big long white Mercury wagon, 70-something or other. And I didn't know, but one of the kids had a milkshake, and they knocked it over in the back seat on the carpet. And I didn't find it right away. But every time it rained, man, did it smell like... It stunk. The inside of the car smelled like one of those one of those little baby kind of... And you get that white, chunky, cottage cheese, creamy stuff that comes out. Well, man, what was that? And it's like, yeah, I found it. I eventually found it. But I didn't have any way of, like, vacuuming it out of the carpet. So I lived with that for the longest time. Okay, that's it. We're not eating in this car anymore. <clears throat> but every now and then I do find a French fry or two because I loan my car out. You know, my daughter has a different policy on eating in the car. Quite a, quite a significant different policy. <clears throat> and so I'm always, you know, cleaning up. So I'm, I'm grouchy about that, right? I'm kind of a grouchy person. But people that are in love with the Lord are going to go, well, oh, well, hey, it's, you know, it's part of life. It's grandkids. I'd rather have the grandkids and have the busted open, stepped on, you know, smushed uh, uh, t um, ketchup, t you know, the old ketchup. What? I'd rather have that. The love of God probably would make you more generous. Don't you think it would make you? Would, do, you think, do you think people that are in love with God are, like, stingy? Here's an example. I'm driving along, and my wife's next to me. We've just come back from Canada. We stopped at the gate. After you pay your, you know, you go through the checkpoint, Charlie, and they clear you, and you pay your money, and now you're waiting for the light to turn so you can go down the expressway. And these guys are standing there, and they're holding these cardboard signs, you know, we'll work. I'm in trouble. I could use some money. Please help. God bless you. God bless you. Why do they put that on there? I don't know, but God bless you. And they're standing there, and they've learned enough to, to not wear a lot of jackets. So they're kind of cold and they're shivering. My wife immediately gets out her purse and starts to, un I mean, she feels compassion for these folks. And what do you think I do? Oh, man, don't do that, honey. They'd probably just go buy drugs. Well, they're just probably just going to use that money to cigarettes or booze or whatever. Or the one time I, I look down and I see a pair. The guy's wearing a pair of Dexter, brand new Dexter shoes. I cannot afford Dexter shoes. He's got, whoa, look at this. 
when people are in love with God, they like they look past all that. They look past and they see that they, they become kind of generous in their heart. So I'm just saying is like, keep yourself in the love of God. It's going to change things. Like when you come home from work and you think, you know what, I'm going to stop and pick up a, some Krispy Kreme donuts. But I know what would happen if I brought them in. The kids would all go, man, who got us the donuts? I'd say, hey, hey, what do I look like? Yeah, right. Why are you getting these, Dad? It's like there's always an angle for it. People that are in love with God tend to have a happy disposition. They tend to be happy. They're just more fun to be around. They're, they're politer. People who are in love with God tend to be quick to forgive. They don't know, but they don't hold a grudge for a long time. People that are in love with God happen to like Jesus music. I, I was in a house, and I'm going to tell you right now, it was my son-in-law's house. And I started to sing a Christmas carol, and they said, whoa, don't, it's not Thanksgiving yet, only after Thanksgiving. And it's like, oh, okay. Like, what if you were to start singing a Jesus song on Monday? Whoa, it's not Sunday. People that are in love with God and in love with Christ, they love to sing to Him, about Him, and for Him. People that are in love with God tend to want to... They're, they're, they're happy, joyful. They're fun to be around. They're patient. You're supposed to be long-suffering. Try being long-suffering when you're in a mood. You're not going to do very well at that. Let me tell you. From experience, I'm going to tell you. You're not going to do well. Keeping yourself in the love of God. Here's an example of one that's not, that's not very cute. Paul, first missionary journey, leaves Antioch on the Orentes, on the Orentes. And he leaves there, goes up through the island, then stops in Antioch, and this is lower Turkey, yes? Lower Turkey, mainly. Then to Iconium, and after Iconium, he goes, and in those, he goes into the synagogues. He starts with people who know. He goes to the Jews first. They're not happy, and they chase him out of town. He says, fine. Goes to Lystra. And in Lystra, there happens to be a person who, from the time he was a squirt, just a little, he never had good legs ever. His legs were defective, and he had to be carried and set down like you would a potato package or something. You would just set him down. If he needed to move, he had to pull himself and scoot himself along <clears throat> all his life. Paul, in this is Acts chapter 14, and he's looking on this man as he's preaching. And he realizes something, and he says, and he heals this guy. Now, the healing wasn't, it was like, it was like magnificent-style healing. It didn't involve a whole lot of physical training and therapy and work. And it was like, no, this guy leaps up and starts walking around. And the whole town goes crazy. And they make this, they start speaking in their language, their natural language, and they say, wow, the gods have become as men and are, are among us. <clears throat> the gods have come down. And Zeus is the, uh, you probably, I don't know if you know, but Zeus is like the top god in, in uh, Greek. And they went, whoa, we, let's get the priest. And they got the priest, and they were all set up to make this offering. We've got to offer and make a sacrifice for this event, this miracle. And Paul and Barnabas do everything they can 
to stop, and they managed to stop and squel and shut down the crowd. They said, listen, fellas, we put on our pants just like you do, one leg at a time. No sooner than they get that squell down than the, <laughs> than the animosity from Antioch and Iconium walk into town and turn the, like, the, Lystra, the Lystra town 180. They are against Paul, and they stone him. They throw rocks at his head once he was laying on the ground, and they think he's dead. They drag him up out of town to get him out of the town because he's somebody else's problem. They leave him on the road. Now, whether Paul was officially dead, dead, or whether Paul was unconscious, I don't know. I'll let that, I'll let that go with you. I'll go any way you want on that. That's fine. But Paul wakes up. Paul gets up. And he goes to Derby. And then from Derby, he comes back. He says, let's go back because there are brethren in these other towns. And he goes back to Lystra, the town where they whooped on him. Why did he do that? Paul writes in one of his letters, for the love of God constrains us to do that. The love of God <coughs> has its devastating effect on neighbors. The love of God is going to be why you like being around in, in the presence of God. The love of God is why you come and worship Him. The love of God is why you find Him to be excellent. You know, whatsoever things are excellent, who's that? You say, He is. Whatsoever things are noble, who's noble? He is. Whatsoever things are of a good report, are you and I of good report? No, He's of a good report. Well, you can't get enough of him. When you love him, you can't get enough of him. You're excited about that. You play Christmas music in July. You don't care. It's talking about your Savior. And further to that, you annoy people. Here, didn't Paul annoy people in Lystra? Didn't he annoy people in Iconium and in Antioch? He annoyed them. You go to a block party sometime. They'll close the street. They'll get out their music. They'll get out, and, and you'll want to talk about Christ. You want to t pass out. You, you may even have written for that occasion tracks. They will, they will be polite. They'll be polite, and they'll listen to you. And then ultimately they're going to say, buzz off. Enough. Be quiet. People are in love with Christ tend to take up and follow the Christ that they're in love with. And that usually involves a hard kind of road. And so the advantage of this position over here, the advantage of this position is not only does it change you, not only does that love of Christ change you and change your family, because the kids are watching, your grandkids are watching it, but it also begins to have a purgative effect on those in the church who don't belong. They're not going to enjoy. They're not going to enjoy the kind of fellowship that you do. They'll go find another assembly. And it has a purgative effect on your life. Things begin to leave out and move out of your way. Things be, you begin to leave things behind. That's why I support this position over here. Make sure to keep yourself in the love of God. And, you, you know, here's this. <coughs> I got, what, two minutes? Good. I'll finish on time. You you cannot you you can have all the love of Christ that you're 
capable of swallowing. There's joy in loving Christ. And you can have that. You say, well, maybe, maybe we would take the position, and ah, I can't. you don't know my sister-in-law. Oh, you, no, 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 I, I, hear, you, I hear you, preacher, but you, know, you just don't know my boss. You don't know that professor I've got. You don't know. And, and that's, like saying, that's like saying that your mission might be to, to build a, ch- a cherry pie. And everything is in the, in the ingredients. God has supplied all of the ingredients except, oh, you just don't have flour. When, in fact, God is saying that he's given you everything in that pantry to build whatever it is you're going to build. There is everything in that pantry to love your enemy. Not just your neighbor, your enemy. To have the kind of love that feeds this guy. That prays on his behalf. Not one of those prayers like, Oh God, when are you going to get rid of that mother-in-law of mine? Or whatever. I don't mean to pick a mother-in-law. I love my mother-in-law and she's gone to receive her reward. But... <coughs> But one of those prayers that says, Lord, teach me to change me. God, fix me. Help me, Lord. So I'm going to say that the keeping yourselves in the love of God is a great benefit to you, to your family, to your neighbors, and to your church. It has a purgative effect on every place you land down. And then he closes with this, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. And who is that? Who is able to keep you from stumbling? The one who is not only up in heaven, but he's with you in this Holy Spirit. To him, to make you stand in the presence of his glory blameless. Believe me, there's always plenty of blame to go around. Somebody's always looking to blame somebody. But you will be blameless. Yes, blameless. And you'll be there with great joy. You don't have to wait to have that you don't have to wait. Like over here, where do you get the joy? When it's over. <laughs> when it's finally you're done. But you can have that joy right away. My joy I have given you that your joy might be full. My joy given you that it would remain with you. Why? So that your joy might be full, Jesus wrote. To, he wrote what well, he said. And John wrote it. To the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, be majesty, be dominion be authority, right? Before all time and now and forever. Be worship. Be adoration. Be bragging. Uh, There's the one. There's the one I've been talking about all my life. There he is. There's the one for whom I have given up and done all things. This one for whom I have sacrificed and love. I have just been crazy. This is the one I'm crazy about. He's the one I bow down to. He's the one I I kneel before. He's the one I get excited about. This one who sits on high. This one who is enthroned in the heavens and I'm enthroned with him. This one who came to this earth to dig dig out a guy like me. This one be glory forever and amen. Who, Who is this one who is worthy to receive our praises? Who is this one? His name is Jesus. Keep yourself in the love of God. Especially this Christmas time, eh? Christmas time's a good time to do it. Hey, you're standing in the store. Hey, you're standing in the store. Hey, you, you can hear the bell ringer. Cling, 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 cling.
Start digging now for a dollar or two or something, yes? Give the guy a track. You're in Kroger. And you're thinking about this guy out there and you think, have you ever seen these guys? They like, they like rough, what do they make, about seven bucks an hour or something? Can you stop and buy them a sandwich and say, listen, here you go. Here's a sandwich on your way out. Just something personal. When you're in love, when you're in love with God, you'll start thinking like that. You'll start thinking about, you're, you're in the store and you're thinking, there's this kid in my church, Chris Barrows. He lives alone. He could use a pop. I'll buy him a cap. I'll buy him some pop. He'll like that. You'll start thinking about your dog, like, like your, your your grandkids come over, right? You know what they love. So go to the store and, and keep that little stock supplied for them. Th- those things those things really change things. It's like you will love Christmas. You'll have such a great time at Christmas time. Because it's a time when the or now maybe the world doesn't need they're singing jingle bells and and whatever they're singing, you know, grandma and, and grandma's underwear riding around town. I don't know what you teach your kids now, but but there's there's good stuff out there for for you and for me in the love of Christ. So what are you gonna do? Put on some music, put on some preaching, turn off something, put on something, put turn off whatever and and, and and ask for ask for forgiveness. You'll probably like spending time with him in prayer when you have the love of Christ in you. So just kind of reset. This is a good time to kind of reset the meter and enjoy the presence of him. So thank you.